Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as we read in Psalms 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. My light's out. This is the day appointed for Jesus to make his appearance in Jerusalem as the Messiah. And we've spent about 11 weeks highlighting events of Jesus' life. And we've seen Jesus rejected, and we've seen Jesus popular. But even in his popularity, people were not following him because of who he was, so much as for what they might be able to get from him healing, and food. But here in this moment, we see two distinct reactions to Jesus. Some celebrate and praise him for who he is, the Messiah, the Son of David, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But there are others who cast a pall on this moment because of their refusal to acknowledge him. And Jesus recognizes that the majority of the Jews will not receive him. And they'll be condemned because of their failure to recognize their Messiah. And it breaks his heart. If you'd stand, I'd like to read Luke 19, 28 through 44 today. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As they approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another 
because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Father, this is a powerful passage. The time when Jesus came to his people in his power. Time when he enters and spends a week trying to get them to acknowledge himself as the Messiah. Touch our hearts with this passage today. Help us to see that he not only comes to the came to the Jewish people, but he comes to each of us, comes to us and asks us in our hearts to acknowledge him as the Messiah, as our Savior. Pray that you fill us with your spirit today as I speak and as we listen. Touch us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a powerful narrative. And to be honest, I had a little bit of trouble coming up with a message on the narrative. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to let the narrative kind of speak to us this morning and comment on it. But one thing I would like you to notice is that for most of his ministry, Jesus has deliberately tried to keep a low profile. Until recently, with the miracles of healing the blind man from birth and raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus has tried to keep himself kind of out of the limelight. When he heals people, he does command them to see the priest to fulfill the law, but he also tells them not to tell other people about it. And we see other examples of Jesus trying to keep his true nature from the public until this moment. We see it after Peter declared that he was the Messiah in Matthew 16, 20. He orders the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And after raising Jairus' daughter from the dead in Mark 5, he gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to get her something to eat. After the transfiguration, when we talked about that, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And we also have examples in John of others trying to maneuver Jesus into a position where he will have to come out publicly. In John 6.15, after feeding the 5,000, they tried to make him king by force, but he withdrew from them. And then in John 7.3-8, through 8, Jesus' brothers come to him. I'm going to read that passage, John 7, 3 through 8. Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For any time, for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not coming up to the festival, because my time has not fully come. And many times in the Gospels, we read that his time has not come. But here, in Luke, in the triumphal entry, 
his time has come. This is the day. On this day, Jesus does not only allow his disciples to cry his praises and tell of his miracles, he encourages it. On this day, he even sets the stage. He's not going to walk into Jerusalem, he's going to ride. And when he reaches the Mount of Olives, he sends two of his disciples ahead to get a colt. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord has need of it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Apparently, this exchange between the disciples and the owners had been prearranged, either supernaturally by God or by Jesus and the apostles ahead of time, because we don't read any protest from the owner. I don't know what the penalty for stealing a colt would have been in Jerusalem. I know in the Old West it was hanging. But it may be the owners here were even disciples of Jesus, and they were glad to donate this colt to his cause. Whatever the case, the disciples bring the colt back, and Jesus is set on the colt, and it's a colt that no one's ever ridden. And this unbroken colt allows it, without any protest that we read about, which in itself is a little miraculous. And the significance of this donkey is twofold. First of all, it fulfills prophecy written in Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Second, in the ancient Near East, there's a big difference when a king rides into a city on the back of a horse and when he rides in on the back of a donkey. A conqueror rides in on the back of a horse. But when a man comes in peace, when a king comes in peace, he rides on a donkey. Here Jesus is arriving as a man of peace, as a man of reconciliation. But when Jesus returns in Revelation 19 when he appears, He's not riding a pony. He's not riding a donkey. He rides a white horse, and he's followed by the armies of heaven. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head, on his head are many crowns. He has the name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. It's called King of King and Lord of Lords. And we look forward to that day when he comes. But on this day, he comes in peace. 
And like Zechariah says, he's lowly and riding on a donkey. And continuing on, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. People spread their cloaks on the road. We may miss the significance, but spreading your cloaks on the road signifies submission to authority. Back in 2 Kings 9, the Israelites spread their cloaks under the newly appointed king Jehu. They were acknowledging his power. They were acknowledging him as their king and his authority over them. And John tells us in his gospel that others spread palm branches. Palm Sunday. Palm branches were symbols of victory. And some of these people may have been hoping that Jesus would be the one to defeat the Romans and throw out their oppressors. And as Jesus rides in, the crowd of disciples begin to praise him. First, they begin to shout out praises for all the miracles they've seen him do and for how he's touched their lives. John tells us this crowd was made up of many who had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And then some of the crowd begins shouting other praises, each of which the gospel writers record slightly different versions of. Matthew, it's Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In Mark, it's Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In Luke, it's blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in John, it's Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. People were shouting praises to Jesus. And you may notice that in each of these, these are all variations of the scripture we read this morning as the call to worship, Psalms 118, especially verses 25 through 26. Please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. We may not recognize it immediately, but verse 25 well, we need to go into language a little bit, I guess. Hosanna. The word Hosanna, when it was translated into Greek, it was spelled phonetically. It comes from the Hebrew phrase, save us, which we read in 25, please, Lord, please save us. The Hebrew for save us is Yasha Anna. So the Greeks, they spelled it phonetically. And so we have Hosanna. And Hosanna used to carry more of a meaning of save us, please. But it doesn't really carry that anymore for us. Now it means salvation is coming. Praise the Lord, salvation is coming. Kind of used to mean what you would say if you were drowning and needed help. Hosanna, save me. Now it kind of means that Hosanna, help is coming. I'll be saved soon. So this 25, please Lord, please save us, this is Hosanna. 
which we see the people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees that were standing there certainly understood that these people were quoting from Psalms 118, and they didn't like it, because Psalms 118 was a messianic prophecy. They understood that these people were declaring Jesus, the son of David, and the king of Israel, the Messiah of the Jews. And so the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Does anyone else? I wish for a moment of silence to hear the stones. I'd love to hear what stones crying out would sound like. Last week in John, we read that these Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. And they had begun to require anyone knew, that knew where Jesus was to tell them. But here he is, he's in plain view, and they don't dare touch him. And for most of this last week, he's teaching in public, right at the temple. But the Pharisees do nothing. And in verse 47 and 48 in Luke, in this chapter, we read why. They're afraid of the crowds around him. They're afraid that Jesus may even use his popularity against them. It says, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. John tells us how much these praises from the crowd frustrated the Pharisees. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. They were frustrated, but they were afraid, afraid of the crowds that followed him. And even in this moment, they hesitate to confront the crowd. Instead, they go to Jesus. We don't read that they even try and silence the crowd. They just go straight to Jesus. And they tell him, do you hear what these people are saying? Your disciples are blaspheming. Jesus, you need to tell them that they're wrong. They shouldn't be calling you the Messiah. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Some people read this figuratively, and I'm, I'm not so sure of that. I think this was the day that was foretold. This is the day. And I think on this day, Jesus was going to be praised, if not by his disciples, by the very creation. Then we read as he continues on, as he approaches Jerusalem and saw the city, he weeps over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is probably the most important day in Jewish history. It's the day when their Messiah is arriving, the one foretold through all the prophets, and they miss it. And it breaks Jesus' heart. 
Jesus has done what he can to give them signs and to draw them to himself. But he recognizes that it will all be in vain. He'll be rejected. And the result for Jerusalem will be utter destruction. And it's especially heart-rending because the day of the Messiah's arrival was predicted by Daniel. This day is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. This very day had been foretold in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel and the other Babylonian captives have received a letter from the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, among other things, tells the captives that they'll be released after 70 years. And Daniel is praying for understanding and for forgiveness for himself and his people. And then in verse 20, the angel Gabriel comes to him, and he gives Daniel a message about God's timing. In verse 25 and 26, it says, Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in the times of trouble. After 62... Sorry. The people and the ruler will come and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolation have been decreed. Sir Robert Anderson, in a book he wrote, The Coming Prince, works out in great detail what this timing means. The 69 groups of seven years, the 62 sevens and the seven sevens, is 483 years. And a year in the Babylonian calendar was 360 days, so 483 years is 173,880 days. And then Mr. Anderson gets into great detail about the calendar. And I wrote it all down, but my wife said it was too confusing this morning. So I took it out. But suffice it to say that Sir Robert Anderson counted out 173,880 days from the time the word went out to restore Jerusalem until the time the anointed one, the ruler, arrived. And he came up with this very day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the colt. And isn't that awesome? To think that the words written by Daniel almost 500 years before foretold to the day that the coming of Jesus to Jerusalem was this day. It's an amazing demonstration of biblical prophecy. Oftentimes people say that obviously the prophets had to write this afterwards if it were this accurate. But not in this case. This case, the words of Daniel were translated to Greek in the Septuagint about 300 years earlier. So that claim simply cannot be made in this case. This is an example of God giving direction through prophecy. And Jerusalem misses it. This is the day, Jerusalem. This is the day foretold by the prophets. The exact day Daniel foretold when the anointed one arrives. And here's Jesus right on schedule. And Jerusalem does not recognize him. How sad, how heartbreaking that a week later they'll crucify their king. 
because they lack understanding. And this understanding will result in the city's complete destruction by the Romans in 70 AD. Like the Jews, we have the opportunity to recognize Jesus as our Messiah. We have the opportunity to recognize him as our king. We also have a choice. And there'll be a day when Jesus will come to us. Many of us have experienced that day. And on that day, we'll acknowledge him as our savior, we'll put our faith and trust in him, or we'll, like Jerusalem, fail to recognize him. We'll fail to recognize the day that Jesus calls us to himself. And one path leads us to eternal life in Jesus' kingdom, and the other, like Jerusalem, leads us to eternal destruction. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day to praise him, to honor him, to acknowledge him as king, as king of our lives, as the Messiah God has sent. This is the day. Is this the day that he's calling you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for prophecy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life, for his sacrifice. Thank you that we all have the opportunity to recognize him as our king, as our savior. Pray today that you touch people's hearts, that you lead them to Jesus, we approach this holy week and Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection, be with the people in this church, be with the people in this community. Draw them to you. Make this the week, make this the day that people see you and recognize you as their Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.